episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected is brought to you by Bridgeside Medical Clinic, Chesapeake Integrated Behavioral Healthcare, and Edgar Casey's ARE. Now more than ever, we have an opportunity to be a positive force in the world, to help heal the divide, to treat each other and ourselves with respect. But with so many tools out there, from meditation to physical training, proper nutrition, therapy, and so many others, we all need a little help navigating all the options. Join us as we share in-depth information, insights, and thought-provoking discussions that will help answer your questions about how to stay calm, cool, and connected during these times. Welcome to Calm, Cool, and Connected, your guidebook to peace of mind. Hello, and welcome to Calm, Cool, and Connected. I'm your host, Dr. Elizabeth Bedrick. Substance abuse is a widespread issue that does not discriminate based on age, gender, race, or really any other factor. Substance abuse is common among all demographics, and statistics indicate that about 60% of Americans over the age of 12 have abused a substance of some type in the last 30 days. One of the biggest barriers with overcoming substance abuse is certainly the willingness to recognize there's an issue and then to seek help. However, another huge barrier is the concern for relapse. So here with us today is Charlene Cutting a certified peer recovery specialist from Western Tidewater Community Services Board. Charlene is here to help us to understand possible reasons for relapse, as well as effective ways to prevent it. Hi, Charlene. Welcome to our show. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. I'm so happy to have you here with us. This is a very interesting topic. It is often, we've we've talked quite a bit about addiction on the show, but relapse specifically is not something that we've addressed. So I think this this will definitely be interesting for our audience. Let's start by talking a little bit about you and, and the work that you do in the mental health field. Okay, sure. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. So I am a certified peer recovery specialist and I work for the Western Tidewater Community Service Board. That's a local agency that offers, that offers mental health and substance use disorder services and also developmental services. Being a certified peer recovery specialist essentially means that I am somebody who has lived experience. Are we either mental health or substance use disorder and uh, and living a recovery life? And I share my experience with those who may be experiencing those challenges. Okay. So you have quite a breadth of knowledge as well as it sounds like your own personal experiences that probably make you really relatable when working with, with this demographic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it helps to bridge the gap uh, between those that we're serving in the community with perhaps some of the services that we're offering. So perhaps outpatient therapy, et cetera. So it helps to kind of build trust, build rapport and help those that are in need of these services to realize that they can recover, that they can overcome. Yes, absolutely. A good, a good, good source of hope. So tell us a little bit about relapse. What, what is considered, can we start with kind of like the technical description of what is relapse? Relapse usually is identified as a return to, if we're talking about substances, so it's usually identified as a return to substance use after a period of abstinence. And so it's also important to realize that relapse is a process, not necessarily just an event. We often think of it as being something that just happened, but there's usually a a buildup that happens before a person would actually then go on to use a substance. Okay, so that makes sense. And that's actually a really important distinction that it's not generally somebody just deciding on a whim all of a sudden, but rather there's maybe life stressors or there's triggers or there's various life events that kind of lead this person 
to then that's that's what ultimately ends up happening at the end of this process. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing to remember is that, you know, everybody's experience is different. So there's obviously going to be an unquantifiable or unidentifiable amount of different factions that can play a part in why somebody would return to you. But self-awareness is definitely a key part in this process. So when we say that it, it's a process rather than an event, we have found that seldom does a person randomly just choose, I'm going to return to something that has been problematic for me in the past that's affected sure. my health. There's usually a number of different factors that would lead to that happening. Sure. And what? So I completely understand that every situation is very unique. Are there any common factors that you see that that lead to relapse more often than others? Usually it's a self-awareness issue and lack of understanding about um, substance use disorder. Lack of understanding on what the person is actually dealing with. Lack of understanding or education that this is an actual illness and it's chronic and it's progressive. So substance use disorder is also characterized by a denial of the illness. So that is a core factor in what uh, would encourage somebody to try to use again, not being aware that once they've arrived at a certain point within their illness, that they're probably going to end up with the same results and they may continue to uh, deteriorate with their illness if they don't receive treatment. Okay. And so then when this takes place, the, when the relapse takes place, what is usually, what do you prescribe as the best course of action for somebody to take? And I, I hear what you're saying that the self-awareness piece is huge. So not being in denial about it and really coming to acceptance of, oh boy, here we go again. And so then what, what is the best approach from there? So, of course, you know, it's, it's person-centered and the person has to be uh, willing to want to go through the necessary stages of change that are going to have to happen in order for a person to achieve any kind of lasting um, recovery or sobriety. So safety and support is uh, usually the first two things that we want to be thinking about. Is the person going to be able to establish any kind of safety? Oftentimes when a person returns to substance use, they're placed in environments that aren't safe, unfortunately. And a lot of the time when a, times when a person does relapse, they're often lacking in support. But those are the first two things that we're kind of trying to emphasize to somebody to help them to understand. So safety and support and connecting and realizing that actually connection is the antidote to addiction. Absolutely. And that that's exactly I was about to ask. What are some protective factors that you usually see to be most effective? So it sounds like the support and having having a group of people around them that is really getting them to where they need to go, as you're saying, to the safety or to the self-awareness. What other protective factors do you guys find to be effective? So it's really kind of just meeting the person where they're at. And, and demonstrating understanding. And that's and that exactly why peer support is so effective because there oftentimes is a, a trust barrier when dealing with it. So being able to kind of like just meet someone where they're at and just say, I, I may not have been exactly where you are, but I, but I understand. And being able to kind of like share those experiences, some of your selective experiences with them building that rapport. It's about establishing a relationship, basically, building trust and kind of like demonstrating that you can recover no matter what you can recover. 
Right. And that's huge for a lot of people because there is the fear of being shamed or put down or rejected, likely experiences that they've had throughout their lifetime with their substance abuse, that when somebody relapsed, there's obviously the fear of all that happening again. And so when a peer support specialist can show up and say, I'm here for you no matter what, and I'm going to support you through this, I'm sure that's really powerful for that person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And again, it's it's just about kind of meeting that person where they're at and that person having an internal willingness uh, to want to to be helped, essentially. And that's where it all starts. And then it's just about a lot of listening and validating their experiences. Right. Because as you say, there is a lot of stigma. There's a lot of disbelief. There's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of judgment. So a person needs to be heard. They need to feel safe and they need to trust who they're speaking to. And that's where that connection um, is formed. And that's when we usually start to see some results. And, you know, just encouraging them that they, they can take those healthy risks, they can, you know, start to change things. And that's, that's why we start to implement those different stages of change that are necessary to, to achieve the desired outcome. Right. Yeah, that is all so important. And when we think about preventing the relapse to even begin with, so once the relapse has taken place, meeting them where they're at, providing that support and safety, what are a couple things that you might suggest to a client to prevent relapse from happening in the first place? So there has to be an understanding of how they've arrived at where they are in the first place. So I know we've mentioned it already, but self-awareness is really important. So for a person to identify what has led them into their substance use disorder, that is generally what is going to save them from repeating those actions. Okay. So in other words, that self-awareness that's needed to get treatment was obviously paramount. But that self-awareness has to stay active. They have to stay intentional in that self-awareness throughout recovery, as you're saying, to prevent the risk of relapse. Yeah, there has to be a vigilance and they have to be willing to commit to the idea that they're going to have to engage in a a new lifestyle, basically, new processes until that becomes almost habitual, like a working part of their mind. Sure, sure. And that can be really hard to completely change up your life and do something that's really uncomfortable. Absolutely. Absolutely. But obviously it can't happen. Right. Absolutely. What, where can our audience find you? What, what's your website or you guys in social media? Where can our viewers learn more about you? Western Title uh, Community Service Board at uh, WTFCSB.org. And there you'll find full list of everything that we do, all the services that we offer, and more about the program that I'm particularly connected with, which is the SOAR program, which is state opioid response. But we are the Western Tidewater Community Service Board. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here, Charlene. That was really informative. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thank you all for tuning into this episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected. Please make sure to find us on Facebook and Instagram, and also make sure to rate and subscribe to our podcast so that others can discover our content as well. Thank you again for joining us in this episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected. 